If you joined us last week for the Tech Ed Podcast in our first episode of a two-episode series with St. Paul Public Schools Superintendent Dr. Joe Gothard, you know that we got unfiltered, candid responses to our questions. It was a fascinating episode, and we are going to continue this week. We're talking about college and career readiness, and we are talking about the 12-hour school day. Are our students and families and educators ready? Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Tech Ed Podcast, where we visit with leaders who are shaping, innovating, and disrupting technical education. People who are not afraid to think differently, not afraid to try something new, all with the goal of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. I want to turn our discussion now to the whole topic, Dr. Gothard, of college and career readiness. K-12 districts are doing more to pave their students' long-term pathways and opportunities than ever before. Now, college and career readiness is a relatively new term uh, that more and more states and more and more districts are using. For SPPS, it's actually part of your strategic plan. How does SPPS define college and career readiness? So we really look at an SPPS achieves and, and talk about it in terms of preparing graduates or college career and life. Um, but again, looking at the key academic and, and standardized testing indicators, such as grade point average, advanced coursework and the like. I mean, that's pretty traditional and been around for a long time, but also the career ready piece and making sure that there are behavioral and experiential benchmarks, making sure that um, students understand you know, what the expectations are going to be of them in career making sure that there is a place for them to have as many dual opportunities as possible, internships and exposure to, you know, to different workforce environments. And then the life-ready piece as well. I mean, soft skills as it's often talked about, but, you know, these can be really difficult times. You, you look around the last 20 months, especially, and we want to make sure that our students can really be leaders in their own community, wherever that might be. Also in the career-ready piece, again, we have to look at ways to open up opportunities to students who might not otherwise see themselves in those careers. And I think that can be so important. Some of my work in this area, I remember taking teachers on a field trip on a professional development day and paired them up with business in the business community. And the debrief that we had after proved to my point that many of our teachers are unaware of you know, what the world around them in terms of work really looks like. Now they might have spouse, family members who, you know, are in the business sector, but many of them may have not experienced that themselves. So it can be very hard for us to think about career and college readiness being everybody's role and not just, you know, the CTE department or the business education department. And to me, it's a cultural change in, in terms of looking at every opportunity we have to build skills that are going to help our students navigate the workforce. And in so many ways, that cuts both ways. You know, I, I spent my time in industry and, as I suggested earlier, came over to education and had so much to learn. And to your point, certain paradigms I'm sure that teachers have about business that we can help educate them a little bit on how the world of business works and what careers look like. There's a lot of work we can do with employers in my world, especially industrial employers, to help them understand education. I often comment that in my world of manufacturing, and they were all small to mid-sized manufacturing businesses, you could make a decision on Monday, implement it on Wednesday, and see the results on Friday. And you know, as we've worked uh, really, really closely, not just with educators, but with employers across the spectrum of employment, uh, one of the first things we'll hear is, well, why can't the district just, and then they fill in the blank. And it's like, you have no idea you know, how much red tape, how many you know, the bureaucracy, 
rules. I mean, you've got all these state requirements, you've got federal requirements. It's not like you can just make the decision on Monday and change on Wednesday. And I think getting people to understand each other and understand the, the pace of change, how we go about change and so on, that is so very, very important. So I think, uh, you know, in as much as exposing teachers to the world of business is important, exposing businesses to the world of education is, is equally important. And that's where we can check the agendas at the door. We can realize that we don't speak the same language necessarily, but that we can communicate nonetheless. And, and if we put the students in our community first, it's amazing what can happen now, the state of Minnesota requires all students to have a personal learning plan. You've referred to those as PLPs by the ninth grade. So for our parents or listeners who may not be familiar with what a PLP is, can you give us kind of that 30,000 foot overview of what a personal learning plan is and how those in SPPS are different from the ones in other districts? Yeah, it's great. It's great. And I think traditionally it's it's this way. And I, I don't know where mine is anymore, but you know, in my elementary school experience, there was a folder that was kept of artifacts of work, right? And a report on the angelfish with a colored pencil picture of it, you know, I was a biology teacher. So I was always into, into science and into animals and things like that. And th- that's great. And that can definitely give a kind of a trajectory or at least evidence of a trajectory. What I'm looking at now, though, in terms of how we want to bolster our personal learning plans, it typically came out of contemporary anyway, for that four-year plan in high school, making sure that there was a pathway for students to graduate and students to have options. And my argument is that that's too late. It's too late. And we need to understand who our students are as soon as they enter into our system. So again, we can be responsive to their individual talents, their unique gifts, and we're building our system to, to support that. So it is very much an equity thing for me. But the other piece is that a personal learning plan should not be relegated to a school function only. As I go back to College Bound St. Paul, if our personal learning plan becomes the public facing document of who each of our students is and, and they're getting experience in their personal life and volunteerism, eventually into the workplace, internships, you know, having that community around that supportive community that's teachers, that's family, that's community, is one way to ensure that we can be successful for every student as well. The last piece that I'll say about it is that if you haven't asked your kindergarten students what they want to be when they grow up and what they're good at, you're missing, I believe, the best data that you could possibly have about each of your students because the answers will blow you away. Our kindergartners today are filled with knowledge and information about themselves. And if we're not asking and we're not acting on it, we're missing out on huge opportunities that will only lead to greater gaps in their experiences. The words you have an identity have come up so many different times with regard to our students. And that identity is, is certainly comprised in some ways of your body of work as a student, but it's, it's really comprised of so much more than that. And to your point, going all the way back to a student who might be four or five years old in kindergarten and asking them about their identity and then thinking through what is that entire education pathway look like in, is, as a result of or in light of how they identify themselves. So very, very important. You know, closely associated with these PLP, personal learning plans that we're chatting about, is the career pathway guide. Tell us how this personalized guide for your students helps put them on the road to on-time graduation from St. Paul Public Schools. Yeah, it's a great learning experience for me. And it kind of goes back to the scale you were talking about earlier, where change is so hard to take place. 
you know, so my first superintendency was in a district that had one comprehensive high school and an alternative learning center high school. Change can happen really quick when you're talking about, you know, doing reform work or change work there. But in a large district that has seven comprehensive high schools and 12 sites that have high school students present, it can, it can be that much more challenging. So what we want to do is create a guide that is more than just your typical linear, here's how many credits that you need. It can provide the student opportunities. And what I've always talked about is I want graduation and matriculation to high school to be thought of as flexible. In college, you're not very good in a particular area. You might change a major and there's a cost to that. You might have to take different classes. You're certainly going to have to pay additional money. High school, we don't have that luxury. So we need to allow students to move ahead in terms of credits and horizontally in terms of experiences that they want. So almost move in a diagonal way so they're not being penalized or punished. Our career guide is helping our students do that. Uh, that if they want to take aerospace at Johnson High School and they decide after the first semester, this isn't really for me, that they can move into another area that they might develop passion about that's based on some of the things they've learned about themselves in aerospace that they're able to document in their personal learning plan and then look at our career guide and say that, you know, this might be an area for me to try. So it kind of goes back to my response to you earlier about, you know, I'm 16 years old and taking that guide for the first time. That was just a moment in time. It wasn't really used in a way to help me in high school because it was my high school was over by that point. I think back to the same process that I went through in high school. The the career opportunities were as wide as, you know, sanitation engineer to, to business executive, but you went through that once and we sat down with our you know, at that time, we called them guidance counselors, now career advisors or academic advisors. And you went through it and that was it. And then you went on with, to your point, that, that linear approach to education. And I'm just struck by how reflective you are on this whole idea of flexibility and you know, diversity, not just in terms of population, but in terms of opportunities and, and options and, and understanding who our students are and, and where they could be going from a career standpoint and in other areas of life. But speaking of the career aspect, what are some of the career-focused opportunities for SPPS high school students that they'll have both inside and outside the classroom that help them think about what career pathway might be right for them? Yeah, we, you know, again, we're in such a resource-rich business community environment that we have a lot of college access partners and a lot of out-of-school time partners that do allow our students to have, uh, you know, these experiences. Genesis Works Twin Cities, for example, which I sit on their board, so I'll, I'll share that, but providing incredibly rich opportunities for students in the field of technology where they have paid summer internship to learn how to be effective employees and how to advance their career and opportunities in technology. And when you can work in places like TCF, now Huntington Bank, Wells Fargo, Target, and, and get hands-on Ecolab, hands-on experiences with executives and leaders and employees in, in those, those areas, those are the most real that we can get. The other piece is in, that I want to work to, and it kind of leads to say, to answer your question, and not enough yet. And I say that because we do have a lot of really good opportunities, but they're still limited. And they still are many times guided by students meeting prerequisites. So it's good for some, but not accessible for all. This pandemic has taught me one thing, that learning can look a lot of different ways. And it doesn't mean that it was great for all, but for some, it was really better. I have been floating what I'm calling the 12-hour school day. And I like to say it that way because it certainly gets people to listen and, and sit up and want to hear more. So in my mind, the 12-hour school day could look like this. Divide the day up from 8 till noon, from noon until 4, and 4 until 8. And if we look at those modules in terms of times for students to learn online, students to learn brick and mortar, students to be in the workplace paid work, 
or interning, we often leave those for after school. And what businesses are open after school to provide that opportunity? So can we do more during the school day? We also have students who during the pandemic weren't as successful in school because they were working, you know, and, and helping their families, helping their families survive and thrive. So can we look at taking the school day and breaking it up in different ways? And then lastly, many of our students aren't able to participate in activities after school, whether that's on the football team or in a club or in the music or the drama. So can we develop a way for students to work during the day so they can still participate in their school activities and not lose their identity at their school as well? You know, I think there has been a lot of reluctance to do it because we still work on a model that is average daily attendance and membership. So the student is a commodity that goes to school 175 days a year for seven hours a day, moves every 50 minutes to the next class. And we have to look at incredible flexibility. That's not how the world around us works. You know, Dr. Gothard, the 12-hour school day is not linear. I mean, another really, really flexible approach. As somebody who, you know, I still carry a little bit of angst from my uh, from my school pathway. I was never the traditional learner. I had a hard time sitting still in class. I wrote a, a magazine article for uh, Gardner Media this last summer, and the, the title of that was all the things that I got in trouble for when I was in grade school are the things that made me a more successful executive when I was in business. I couldn't sit still. I couldn't accept the status quo. I was always looking to find some goofy angle on something. And then you get into the workforce and all those things that you got your hand slapped for figuratively. And when we were in grade school are those things that in, in many cases, I think accounted for whatever degree of success I had as a business person. So I'm really, really intrigued genuinely by that whole concept of the 12 hour school day. That would have been perfect for me. And especially today when we've got technology available to us to reach learners in so many different ways. And to your point, not every student learns the same way, but we've got myriad ways of reaching our learners. That's a really, really intriguing concept. How will you measure the success of college and career readiness initiative? Again, I come from the world of manufacturing where everything gets measured. Everything is about ROI. Everything is about outcomes. How are you going to measure whether or not this initiative is successful in the end? Yeah, I think some of the outcomes that we've identified is just a quick list, the percentage of students who meet learning targets for each uh, personal learning plan lesson. You know, so there are lessons that are embedded in the PLPs. Percent of students who report adults support them in thinking about the future. Really important. Again, back to my question of, has anyone asked you what you're good at or what you want to do? And when does that take place? Percent of students who complete an application to their post-secondary plan. Percent of students who are able to finance their post-secondary plan. Percent of students who participate in advanced coursework. Percent of students who participate in coursework aligned to career interests. And percent of students who participate in work-based learning. So what we're looking for is students to make connections from their classwork to what they identify as areas they want to explore or have experience in. I'm tired of, for 25 years, saying meaningful and relevant. Now, I want, I want proof of that. I want to demonstrate that we are doing that. And if we're not, that we're flexible enough and adaptive enough, you know, that we can deliver that for our students. So I want proof of that. I love those words as well. And we're going to talk now a little bit more about the whole career pathway topic, which has been a thread that has run through our entire discussion today. You've already mentioned some great Southeast Minnesota, Twin Cities employers, companies like Wells Fargo, Target, TCF Bank. Now we'll talk about some other employers in a little bit, but so many great things going on in the world of tech in the Twin Cities. Forrester has ranked the Twin Cities a top tech talent market in recent years. Uh, your region has also drawn very high marks from Inc. Magazine with regard to net business creation. Tell our audience about the career opportunities in the Twin Cities for students interested in STEM or the skilled trades. 
Right. And it is a wide, wide swath that we could talk about here. But some research recently that I looked at was uh, through real-time talent, October, 2021, listed the following as areas right now in the Twin Cities, software developers and applications, heavy and tractor trailer and truck drivers, laborers and freight, stock and material movers, software systems engineers, industrial engineers, information security analysts, and computer occupations, which should be no surprise at all. But you look, I mean, those are broad careers, but you look inside that box and there is something for everyone from managing, you know, those companies and businesses to hiring, recruiting, the marketing. It really could be just about anything we want it to be. But again, to have our students look at things that they might be interested in and find that kind of plan that could lead them to these careers is again, where I want our curriculum to go. So it does have those touch points out in those areas. You know, I serve on the advisory board of a fairly decent sized university in the in the Midwest. And, and one of the things that we reflected on in a recent advisory board meeting is the way that so many of those students in this case who found their way into engineering made their career decision. And as they interviewed those students, it was by and large, well, my neighbor was an industrial engineer and that seemed interesting. And so I did that. Or, you know, I come from a long line of electrical engineers and my father was an electrical engineer and I want to be an electrical engineer. My mother was a a manufacturing engineer. I want to be a manufacturing engineer, what have you. It's really interesting, the fact and the importance of matching those career opportunities and exploration with interests and and, uh, natural abilities to your earlier points. As you look to prepare students for amazing careers in the Twin Cities, also boast in your area some significant tech-related employers, including 3M, Cargo, and Medtronic, and in others. Specific to technology, how is SPPS preparing students for career pathways with these and other high-tech employers? Yeah, 3M is, I can see their headquarters right out my window and just amazing partners. And I'm always grateful for the work that we do together. They, for many years, have sponsored summer engineering internship for students, usually go to the program at the beginning of the school year, the end of the summer. And it's just amazing to see what our students can experience there. We've also taken this partnership to the next step where through, along with Minnesota State and 3M, we were awarded a multi-year grant to expand skilled trades opportunities. So we're calling this the St. Paul College Internships and the Skilled Trades Hub, uh, Skilled Trades Center Hub. So we're going to look at really codifying what these experiences can be and again, making them more intentional and not just by chance that students get exposed into this, that we make it part of you know the way we do business and changing what I talked about is the traditional way we look at school and making sure that, that all of our students are having, having those opportunities. We also have a, a genius squad. So we're looking at also in our buildings of, of trying to bring as many industries in and industry work into our schools to have students experience that as well. This gets back to the 12 hour day where a part of that could also be business coming in to our schools or into spaces identified as these areas that can be both for credit and for work experience with both teachers and career or experts in the field in order to serve our students as well. So I think it opens up a lot of great opportunities. Lastly, St. Paul Right Track is the city's program that for, again, years has had summer internships for our students. We're looking at expanding that to be more year-round. So again, fits very much with the flexibility that I've earlier identified in our discussion. You know, it's interesting. I'm just reflecting on how the world of work and the world of education, you know, are converging in so many ways. And again, going back to your 12-hour school day and how you could have a day broken up into some work experience, traditional education experience, some more cutting-edge innovative educational experiences, and so on, and merging all of those 
together are really, really fascinating things to think about. It's also fascinating to think about how certain areas within education are merging toward career pathways. I see the whole world of STEM and CTE, which in my education pathway were two different worlds, right? You had a group of students that were in CTE. You had a group of students that were in, we didn't call it STEM necessarily then, but in those types of classes and and not necessarily a ton of overlap. Today, we see more and more overlap between career technical education, science, technology, engineering, and math in terms of competencies necessary for success in the career pathways for which CTE prepares our students. Talk to us a little bit, if you would, Dr. Gothard, about your advice to other educators about how to get students intrigued and interested in enrolling in CTE courses. Yeah, and and sadly, I think that typically high school course enrollment many times is competitive, especially in elective areas. You know, your program relies on students being enrolled in it. So I do think that it truly starts with school leadership, district leadership, in terms of articulating what the goals and objectives are, what the vision is for, you know, CTE work and making sure that people are aware. I think sometimes the biggest detriment and the biggest hurdle in this work is a lack of awareness. And, you know, without blaming, I just think it's on all of us, as I uh, said earlier, to be educators that are looking at the future of our students as, as a real priority. And it isn't just relegated to one department or to the guidance counselor or school counselor, um, that it really is all of us that, that have to do this. In some of my early partnership work of bringing community into schools, there was always this firewall, this barrier of trust and information. And my teams here that I've worked with know that I throw all that out, that if you're here and you're good for kids, you're part of the family. And that's really how we have to look at it. We have to break down the barriers and the silos that we have in these large bureaucratic systems and say, if we're here for kids, uh, let's make sure that we can bring in all the partners, all the horsepower we can to be all of us good for kids together, because it will really make that much more of an impact. That philosophy is so very interesting to me. You know, we talk here at the Tech Ed Podcast about our mission of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and, and workforce talent. And our line is, we don't care who you voted for in the last election. We don't care who you're supporting in the next one. If you're about creating great opportunities for students. If you're about doing what's right for your community, we can all work together on that. We're all on the same team. So, so very, very aligned philosophies. And in that regard, one last question for you, Dr. Gothard, as we close out our time today, and it is a question we ask every guest, if you could give a high school sophomore one piece of advice as they consider their future pathway, what would it be? Uh, What I've always found is that there's always something that our students are good at, something that they might see themselves as doing, just haven't always felt the support to do it. So number one, I would say students have to advocate for themselves. Students have to find caring adults, both in their school and in their community. If it's not at home, somebody in the community who is also that caring person. Students have to be able to be fearless about taking risks, knowing that there is a support system around them. Students have to to make sure that they're thinking about their future in ways that aren't so narrowly defined that they can be successful in a, in a multitude of areas. I think that skill development is really important for that. Lastly, I really think that being involved in some sort of community volunteer activities, I think being involved in teams or clubs where you can have group dynamics and be part of you know, a diverse group that is looking at an area of interest and in, in developing that further can be really important as well. I think some of the Uh, Most successful students or employees that I've worked with have been involved in things like that in the past. And they talk about that often in terms of leading them. You know, I'm a former coach and an athlete and very much still live and lead that way, you know, in terms of lessons I've learned and 
uh, wins, losses, and in between. So I think those are some of the important things that I would ask our students. And, and to be curious, to, to be curious, I think is, a, is another big area. You can never ask enough questions. Make sure that you're seeking the right information to get your answer. You can never ask enough questions. And I feel like I have so many more questions for Dr. Joel Gothard, our guest today on the Tech Ed Podcast. Thank you so much for spending some time with us here today. It's been a really, really enlightening conversation. We very much appreciate you being with us. Well, you're welcome. And it was great to reflect on these really important questions and probably a lot more I can say and maybe some more that I'm thinking about uh, from our conversation as well. So thank you very much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tech Ed Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. New episodes launch every Tuesday, so listen in next week.